0: All right, hey, Mercy Church, how we doing? Good. Good. Hey, listen, I guess I wanna say happy Serve Week to us uh, because today is our kickoff of our Serve Week. If you're newer to Mercy Church, this is where it's kinda like a church-wide mission trip right here to Charlotte, to our own city, where we join up with other um, ministry partners that we have around the city and just seek to serve and bless our city. Some of us take days off work. If you can't do that, maybe it's an evening or um, maybe join us on Saturday uh, just to serve and just extend the love of Christ to our city. Uh, listen, if you haven't found a place to serve yet, we do have um, a way for you to sign up right after the service, okay? So it's not too late to find a spot for you. have got spots still open, so you'll want to jump in. Don't miss out on a chance. So again, sacrifice ourselves for the sake of loving and serving some others, all right? Um, with that said, today we start a brand new series of sermons. I'm really excited about it. And we're entering into a series that's going to take us all the way up to Easter, and we're calling this series The Way of Jesus, what we're going to do, pretty simple, we're going to look into the life of Jesus and look into the life that he called his followers into. You know, one way the Bible describes the early church, the first church, is the way, the way, the people of the way. Now, oftentimes, when we talk about the first church, we call it the first church or the early church, but in real time, they were being called the people of the way. That's because they were the people who believed the things that Jesus taught, but then they also went where he went. They did what he did. They followed in his steps. That's what followers do. They believe what's being taught, and then they act on those beliefs. Um, maybe way to update it for today: they like it, they click the heart, but then they also live it out in their everyday life. And y'all, this is a simple but important concept for us because it's really easy right now to be able to come into church and kind of agree with the things that we're singing and that are being preached. It's easy to agree with it, to like it, but then have Confusion with what it means to actually live it out, right? And the way to kind of assess this, I've been thinking about this in my own life. But if I were to bring someone to you who was brand new, brand new to Christianity, today was their first day ever hearing about it, would you be able to walk them in the way of Jesus? And if if they followed you around, would they catch what it means to walk in the way of Jesus through your life? Now, that's not designed to. That's not a guilt question, all right? That's an opportunity question. I think this is a really important time we're stepping together into with, uh, with this series. And if you're new with us, man, how awesome of a time for you to join up with us. By Easter, you'll know how to walk with Jesus, and I think you'll have some handles on helping other people to walk with Jesus as well. Um, man, I think that you'll see. I've believed this, and I've experienced it, that when you step into the way of Jesus, when you actually take a step, it's like stepping into the highway of God's power. God's power is unleashed through steps of faith that we take where we we trust him with our lives. His power to transform you is unleashed. And when you take steps into the way of Jesus, following what he teaches, not only is this power unleashed in your life, it starts to get unleashed through you into the lives of people around you. And we're gonna see that today. Uh, In fact, you know what, guys? To to practice the way of Jesus together, we're gonna begin starting this weekend a six-week prayer and fasting and inviting initiative that we're calling Who's Your One? If you've been around Mercy, you've heard me use this language before. Who's your one? Who is one person far from God that you know? Y'all, Easter is going to be like, Target, like like a target on the wall. We're gonna spend these weeks praying and inviting people to hear the gospel message. We're actually gonna hold a few times together where we're all gonna come together as a church. We're gonna fast during the day and and come together and pray together. We're gonna announce those times next weekend. But look, you don't need to wait on next weekend to get started. Begin praying, begin thinking of that person, praying for them, and inviting them to to hear the gospel. With that said, let's get into today. Uh, Over the course of the series, we're just gonna be in a section of the gospel of Luke. All right, so we're going to be primarily in Luke 5 through 10. We'll hit a couple other spots, but primarily 5 through 10. And today, we're in chapter 5 of the Gospel of Luke. We're going to hit the first 11 verses. Y'all, walking in the way of Jesus, it all begins with encountering Jesus. And that's what happens uh, to our main character today, a guy named Simon. We're just going to walk through his encounter with Jesus. It's only eleven verses, but it is slam packed, super important encounter, as you'll see. And after we walk through it, I'm going to show you a few signs to help you see: Are you have you encountered Jesus, and are you walking with him, walking in the way of Jesus? Look, kind of, I think maybe a running idea for today, uh, something that I heard a long time ago. It's really helped me um, in how I walk with Jesus. Is that And what you're going to see today, Jesus will meet you where you are, but he won't leave you there. He'll meet you where you are. He'll meet you in the situation right where you are. You don't have to clean yourself up before you get to him. meet you right where you are. But in his grace and his kindness, he won't leave you there. And that's what we're going to see with our our main character today, all right? So with that said, let's jump in. I'm going to start in verse 1. Like I said, we'll walk through it and then give you some some handles on it after we're done with that, all right? As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Geneseret. Now Luke is writing this, Uh, that's why it's called the Gospel According to Luke. Um, Luke was a doctor. He rode around with the Apostle Paul. And we know this because Luke also wrote the book of Acts and talked a lot in the first person about his journeys. But as a doctor, it shouldn't surprise us that he did a lot of research. He was meticulous in making sure um, all the accounts he recorded were as accurate as possible um, and were well attested to. That's why he goes so far to call this Lake Genesaret. It kind of zeroes in. It's the Sea of Galilee. That's what you see it often referred to in scripture. But he's zeroing in like a, a certain like northwestern corner of the lake where this is happening. That's this little way of, of pinpointing where it's happened. And I say that just as an aside to you, if you're maybe a little bit skeptical of the Bible, I want you to know it just wasn't put together haphazardly. All right, there was some real investigation and fact-finding that went into it in all of its creation and formation, all right? Um, verse two, he saw two boats at the edge of the lake, that's Jesus, the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. All right, Simon, that's our main character today, okay? If you read the end of chapter four, you learn that this is Simon's second encounter with Jesus. Just before this, Simon's mother-in-law had been sick with a fever. All right, that's the way chapter four ends. She's sick with a fever. Jesus walks into the house, and they ask him about her, and he just looks at her, and it says that he rebukes the fever, and the fever comes out of Simon's mother-in-law. And, I mean, it's kind of like a whoa moment for a bite in the house. Simon's mother-in-law gets up, and she just starts serving Jesus. She's just start, she's like, all right, what do you want me You know? How can I serve you? She's hospitable to him and everything else. And what Simon sees kind of as an observer is that there's some kind of power, something is going on here. This is the encounter that introduces Simon to Jesus. But in that moment, we don't see Simon worship Jesus there. And, you know, I think this is what happens to a lot of people in the process of encountering Jesus, we see Jesus do something in somebody else's life and we're close enough to observe it, right? We're brought in a little and we're curious enough to hear, uh, hear them out about the things that they've experienced. That's what happened to me. Y'all, a few people in my old Baptist church that my parents took me to growing up, they had this really awesome experience at youth camp. And they're like, you gotta go to youth camp, you gotta go to youth camp. It changed my life. And I'm like, I don't really care that much about youth camp. All right. I mean, I'd much rather just go to the pool and play wiffle ball and stuff like that. But these people were like insistent that youth camp was awesome. So I said, okay, um, I'll go with you to youth camp because something that they'd experienced. I was like, I'll at least hear this out a little bit more. And it was there at youth camp that I heard the gospel. God revealed to me how clearly it was that I was a sinner in need of saving. And that happened first because there were some people that were really affected by it and it got me interested. And then I went and that's what God used to to save me. God rescued me from my sins. I received forgiveness right there, and that's how it all started. Um, uh, another last Sunday, last Sunday we baptized a woman who had gone through just some really tough stuff. As a result, partly of some unfair life ex, life circumstances she was dealt, and um, partly from some bad decisions of her own, she hit rock bottom a while back. And she gave me permission. She um, sent us her uh, her story and gave me permission to share some of it with you. Here's what she said. She said, I'd finally realized that it was God protecting me in the middle of all those circumstances, not luck. I wept and I kept asking him, why? Why would he protect such an awful, selfish, disgusting person who didn't care if she lived or died? Not really knowing what to do, listen, I reached out to my brother. Now, the brother was the one that knew Jesus, had already encountered Jesus, and had been praying for her and talking to her about this. God had changed his life and she had seen that in him. Right, And so I reached out to my brother and asked him how I can get closer to God. That's when I was introduced to the gospel. After talking for hours, he told me to go to church that next Sunday. Listen to this. Walk up to the tent at Mercy, tell them I have no idea how to read the Bible, but that I want to know God. And that's what I did. (laughs) I met two awesome women there at Mercy, Kelly and Shannon. Kelly has taught me how to read the Bible and has helped me grow in my faith. She's helped me realize that although I am a sinner, God still loves me. Exclamation point, exclamation point. Um, She also helps me grow closer to God and stronger in my faith. Y'all, that is just one story of something that's happened just recently here. And maybe that's why you're here today. Maybe somebody said, you got to hear about this Jesus that changed me. That's a good thing. God has wired this whole thing up to use people to introduce other people to Jesus. So if you're here because someone invited you, what they're doing is saying, look, this Jesus has changed my life. I want you to know about him. And so what you need to do is uh, just plain and simple, make that friend that invited you take you out to lunch and make them pay for your food. Listen, the pastor is saying that they have to, all right? Now it's a spiritual thing that's at stake here, all right? Um, so the pastor's orders, they will buy your lunch, and then you'll just talk about it, talk this stuff out. All right, anyways, that's what's happening here. Simon sees someone close to him, experience the power of Jesus, and here Jesus is now showing up where Simon works and goes and gets in his boat. And Simon has seen enough to kind of go along with it. He's interested. But then, verse 4, Jesus finished speaking. And he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now, Jesus is confronting. He's engaging Simon directly. Not his mother-in-law. Now it's Simon. It's Simon's turn to figure out what he, what's he going to do with Jesus. Jesus. And Simon's response is massively important for us today. Verse five records a response. I think it'll resonate with you. And depending on where you are, be really freeing. All right, verse five. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Two components of this response, right? The first one is doubt. Jesus calls Simon to do something that doesn't make sense to Simon. Simon. We've worked hard hard all night. We've done our job. After all, Simon is the expert in the area. Who is Jesus to come in here and try and tell him how to do his job? Now, of course, Simon doesn't know at this moment that Jesus is the one that commands the water, the winds, and also the fish, right? Uh, And he said, we've caught nothing. We've put in the work. The work hasn't worked. This ain't the right time to try to do what you're saying. You hear this, "I I don't think this will work. I don't think this is the right time. It's doubt. It's uncertainty about Jesus, Uh, Is he, am I really gonna trust him? I'm not too sure about this guy. But then he says, if you say so, I'll let down the nets. This is the part I love. It's uncertainty, but it's also willingness. All right, Jesus, if you say so. After all, I saw what you did to my mother-in-law. I mean, she's healed now, so I'm interested. You see what Jesus has done? He's gone and met Simon right where he is. I told you, Christ will meet you where you are. He goes and he meets Simon right in his arena, right where he is, and he calls Simon to take a step that from Simon's perspective doesn't seem to make sense. So if he's gonna go with this, it means he will have to trust Jesus over his instincts and his experience. And y'all, those are the hurdles that keep us from trusting Jesus. Skeptical instincts and past experience, right? Our skeptical instincts say, no, nah, that's not going to work. And past experience says, nothing's going to change. You know, I can go do this, go do that, but nothing's really ever going to change. Simon's able to just kind of put that up on the shelf just for a minute. That skepticism, just put it on the shelf and say, you know what? All right, I'm going to take a genuine step here and see where this goes. And what I think is so cool about this, this uh, what we're going to see is a, a miracle that Jesus does, is it's one that um, Simon's going to appreciate more than the average observer would. Because it's fishing. That's his area. That's how Jesus works. He touches on something that you are deeply invested into and passionate about. It's how he gets your attention. And then when his power goes to work there, it radically changes you because you're the one closest to it. Simon is uncertain but willing. And look at this. Jesus blesses an uncertain but willing step of faith. Can we just pause and draw some encouragement from that here? Christ uses an uncertain but willing step of faith to show Simon his power. Y'all, some of you need to hear freedom. You need to hear freedom in following Jesus in that. Uncertain but willing obedience. I wonder what step God might be calling you to take. You're just not certain if it's gonna work. That's the, way, that's the word you use. Is it gonna work? So you're hesitant. And your uncertainty is keeping you from stepping out. Look, God does not need your confidence to accomplish his plan, right? You aren't inviting him into your plan. He is inviting you to step into his plan. He's the one who's God. He's the one who's in control, but he is gracious enough to invite you in and even use an unwilling, unsure step of faith. Man, By the way, this would be an awesome um, community group, maybe even a smaller group discussion to have, like you and your sparring partner, that one person that you dive deep with in your life, um, your ride or die for Jesus, whatever you call it. Um, What is an uncertain step of faith you sense that God might be calling you to take and you're like, ah, I'm willing, but I'm uncertain. I'm telling you, breakthroughs happen through steps like that. Um, All right, verse six. When they did this, now here's what happens. They caught a great number of fish in their nets, began to tear. They caught more than they thought was possible to catch. That's why their nets are tearing. Nets weren't even made for this kind of a haul. This is the moment of it's awe at what's happening and scramble, right? Scramble to figure out how to pull in a haul unlike anything they'd ever gotten on their own efforts. So, verse seven, they signaled their partners in the other boat, right, to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat so full, they began to sink. Not only the nets couldn't handle it, the boats couldn't handle it. I feel like I wanna call this scene the happy chaos of trusting Jesus, right? You honor Jesus with what he tells you to do, and then he starts releasing his power in your life. And you adjusting to it can sometimes feel a little bit chaotic But you're so excited about what he's doing that you're willing to go through the chaos, Um, I saw this happen with a a guy that I knew who decided that he was gonna lead. um, I kind of challenged him a little bit. He was gonna lead a Bible study in his neighborhood on his street. Now, he didn't know anyone in his neighborhood and he had never led a Bible study before. So he came to me, he said, all right, man, help me. I think I'm gonna take a chance. I'm not too sure how this is gonna work out, but I think I'm gonna take a chance, so help me out. And I gave him a really kind of easy entry level, easy to plug and play kind of study guide. And he invited his literal neighbors on his street and they came. Now, here's what was crazy. At the end of six weeks, and he, was, he had told them, hey, six-week study, he adjusted. He was in a, a community group and said, you know what? I'm gonna step out of this for these six weeks. I it and everything. Family adjusted schedules. Well, at the end of six weeks, He had a couple people that were um, coming to faith, and one of them came to faith in Christ in week six, and all of them wanted to keep going in the study. And he's like, "Uh, I'd only plan on it being six weeks but I got these people that are like interested in Jesus and I'm seeing some more work going here. I haven't even been trained really as a small group leader, community group leader, but I see what God's doing and we're gonna have to change our whole family schedule to keep this up. And I don't know if I'm gonna be going to my old community group because of what's happening here. It was a little bit chaotic in his life, but he was all smiles on his face because he was seeing God move. He took a step into the highway of God's power and it was changing his life around as he saw God work. And people came to know Jesus. And then look, what happens next is huge for understanding what happens when you encounter the, the one true Jesus, all right? When Simon Peter, all right, this is the first time we've seen the name Peter, so let me let me say this whole time you've been hearing Simon, the guy that we're reading about is the guy that you might know as the apostle Peter. All right, that's the, his future name's been referred by um, as Peter a lot. All right, his name is Simon Peter. So that's who we're dealing with. I'm just kind of referring to him as the passage refers to him, okay? But yes, Peter, the apostle Peter's who we're talking about. All right, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus's knees and said, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. They would be disciples of Christ as well. Now listen, this this response is a little bit odd, right? Like, if a guy comes along, you're having a really bad day on the job, and he turns it into the best day in the history of the company, all right? You are not gonna tell him to go away. You are now inviting him to Thanksgiving dinner. Right, he is now a part of your family. I mean, you just you want to welcome him in. So what's happening? You know, it's, of course, it's not that it's not that he's ungrateful. That Simon's ungrateful. Notice why he says go away. He says go away because I'm a sinful man, Lord. He recognizing he's he's recognizing Simon as he's not just dealing with a better fisherman who's outfished him that day. He's aware he's in the presence of holiness, and he's afraid because he knows that he's unholy. He knows he's not worthy to be in the presence of this holy one of God. This is what happens throughout scripture. When someone really encounters God, there's an element of fear because they realize how unworthy they are, how the holy one who is all powerful and sovereign could justifiably judge them right then and there for their sin. In fact, this is always the reaction of a heart that sees God rightly. It's humility. I see I'm a sinner, which is what makes Jesus's reaction to him all the more surprising. Verse 11, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. You'll be, instead of catching fish, catching people. You'll be fishers of men, a lot of translations read. Instead of tossing Simon overboard for questioning his command or judging Simon for his sin, he says, don't be afraid. Y'all, That's grace. But even more than that, I'm not pushing you away, Simon. I'm not judging you. I'm gonna pull you in. I'm gonna restore you, recreate you, give you new purpose in your life now. And let me explain your purpose, Simon, in a way you'll understand it. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And like what you experienced on the boat, I will bring them to you and you will catch them in overwhelming amounts. You'll have to call in more help and and look at their response, verse 11. They brought the boats to land, left everything and followed him. Left everything. Right there. Just followed him. Just left it on the beach because they met God and they treasured Christ so much. They knew who they were with. They treasured him so much. They dropped the nets of their current career and they just picked up their new nets of their disciple-making career right there. Right there. See what's happened. In a morning, in a morning, the lives of Simon, James, and John were changed forever. They stepped into the way of Jesus. It took them into the happy chaos of advancing the gospel and making disciples for the rest of their lives. When Jesus calls people to follow him throughout the gospels, he tells them to walk as he's walking to leave everything, follow him. When Jesus commissions the disciples, at the end of the book of Matthew, he says, he says, go make disciples. Baptize them and teach them to obey all the things I've commanded you, to walk in the same way I've shown you to walk. And here in Luke, we're seeing the process that Simon Peter goes through of stepping into, taking that step, to step into the way of Jesus. And y'all, it's the process every person has to go through. if They're going to follow Jesus. So here's what I wanted to show you. I want to just kind of observe back through with our remaining time. I want, to, I want you to see how you know. How do you know if you are actually walking in the way of Jesus? Because we're gonna build on this from here, right? Over the course of this series, you gotta know. How do I know if I'm walking in the way of Jesus? I'm gonna observe three things. There are a lot of them in there. I hope you'll investigate this even more on your own. But here's the first one. It's in Peter's response you become aware of Christ's holiness and that makes you humble. The whole purpose of this encounter was for Jesus to call Peter and James and John to be his followers. They're gonna be his disciples. But before they follow him, Jesus wants to show them his power. And Peter's response is awareness of his sinfulness and the result is a major expression of humility. Now, I heard one preacher describe this as a a self-quake. It's a lot like an earthquake, but it's happening in you, internally in your soul, that's an upheaval, like, kind of like when you think you're the funny guy, but then someone funnier comes along, and it threatens you because you're not the funny guy anymore, and you're like, uh, who am I now, right? What's happening in there? Your self-image is starting to break up a little. You're going through a little self-quake. This is what is happening to Peter. He's getting for the first time a real image of who he actually is because he's comparing himself to God and that's very humbling. You know, there's a beautiful parallel to this in Isaiah chapter six. It's a wonderful kind of parallel to Luke five. In Isaiah six, the prophet has a vision. He says, he sees the Lord sitting on the throne. And look what he says he sees. This is verses two and, Ser- uh, two and three. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. Two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His, whole, his glory fills the whole earth. Now, why were these seraphim covering their faces and feet? It's because of God's holiness. They know they're unworthy, yet they keep flying close to his presence. And this, I read one philosopher who said, is the process we go through when we get close to God, when we see God for who he really is. It's called the, he called it the numinous awe, is the way he described it. Uh, he said, here's the problem. On the one hand, we're very attracted to God. On the other hand, we are frightened to death of him. In fact, Isaiah says, a couple of verses later, 6-5, woe is me. For I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips and because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. Listen, a sign you're thinking rightly about God is woe is me. right? He is holy, I'm not. I can't be in his presence, but I wanna be. Right? I'm I'm drawn to him. One pastor, Tim Keller, he said, this is the problem of the human condition. The numinous awe, we're attracted to God, but we can't live with God. But we can't live without God. I want to be close to God because he's the greatest, the greatest thing I've ever seen. But in drawing close, I'm exposed because I'm not great. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you become aware of your sin, which makes the people of the way a humble people. Ones who are not surprised by the brokenness of this world because they're acutely aware of the brokenness within themselves. We don't judge people around us. We don't look down on anyone. We don't write anyone off because we know we are capable of even the worst sin. Y'all listen, I know sin isn't that enjoyable to talk about, but let's let's just be real. Sin is real, right? And I wonder who in here is in this spot where you're like, yeah, I've messed up. I need God's grace, but I don't deserve it. I need it, but I'm not worthy of it. What I wanna tell you is that you are in a room of people who all believe and are saying the same thing. We want God. We're not worthy of God, which leads me to the next very important thing about walking with Jesus. How you know you're walking with him? You receive the grace of Christ, and that makes you joyful. Jesus' response is so wonderful to Simon. Don't be afraid. I'm not gonna judge you for your sin. Instead, I'm gonna bring you in. I'm gonna make you a partner with me. This is grace. It gives you a radical new identity. We'll talk about Peter's new career in a second, but first we gotta stop and marvel at the grace of Christ to bring Peter into a relationship with him instead of casting him away. The gospel message is, woe is me. It's awareness that I'm a sinner, but then the response of God to your sin is not judgment, it's mercy. Here's what happens. God still has to judge sin. He does, but instead of judging you for it, instead of punishing you for it, he puts the judgment for your sin onto Jesus. Jesus goes up on the cross as a punishment for your sin and mine. He dies, not us. And so in the eyes of God, we are no longer unworthy of God because we are now hidden in Christ, scripture tells us. And then Christ comes out of the grave three days later, showing he has the power not just to pay for all sin, but to defeat sin and death. Y'all, we talked about this last week in Daniel 7. Instead of punishment, we get forgiveness, we get adopted by God as his children, and we get eternal victory and celebration with him. So we can say like Martin Luther, the old German monk, when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, you tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell, what of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf, his name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. Y'all, this is why, when you get around people who truly understand the gospel, they are humble, joyful people. I mean, not perfect people, of course, but in general, there is a narrative running through their life that they've been given a grace they don't deserve. So let me ask you, just plain and simple, are you joyful? I'm not talking about cheery, right? Just, just shallow happiness. No, that stuff comes and goes. I'm not talking about an emotion. I'm talking about a heart posture. And a way to answer that question honestly is to ask those who you trust to look into your life and answer that question. Am I joyful? And listen in. And if not, what's the answer? It's to go spend time with Jesus, to abide in him rest in the gospel he will change the desires of your heart he will change you it leads me right to the to the last thing how you know you're walking with Jesus you respond to the calling of Christ which gives you new purpose and Jesus says i will make you fishers of men and y'all they just left everything and they followed him now this doesn't mean every Christian quits their jobs, goes and raises support, and is in full-time ministry as a missionary somewhere, okay? Some will, and I believe some of you guys will, all right? There, but there are plenty of famous heroes of faith in the scripture that had what you would call secular jobs. What we would call secular jobs, and they worked and honored and gave glory to God through those. I mean, just think about last week, um, or our whole last series, Daniel, the guy that we were observing, he worked his whole life in government, Whole life, that was his whole career and God used him mightily in there. What this means is not that this is our vocation, but it means that our new identity in Christ gives us a new purpose, right? We're fishing for people. We aren't consumed by our jobs because profit margin isn't our identity, Christ is. So we do our jobs well because we wanna honor God and that means, listen, neither success nor failure will define us. Christ will define us in whatever endeavor we're in. And our purpose, our purpose is to worship him, to draw near to God, because it's actually possible now through Christ. And then we introduce others to him. We serve people, we sacrifice for people, we do it with joy because we're in this routine of remembering the one who sacrificed for us. This week, we're getting into this serve week where we just go and try and bless and love the city of Charlotte. Why? It's just gospel rehearsal. I'm just trying to do a miniature version for a few moments, right, of what God has done for me. You now listen, there are 2.5 million people in the Charlotte area, over a million inside the city limits, and so many don't know the gospel According to a Harvard research study, Met County is the hardest county for someone born into poverty to climb out of poverty over the course of their lifetime. There are systems of darkness and injustice, so many that that we can't even see. There are rich people, poor people, suburban and urban people, people in all types of cultures from all over the planet, all who need the hope of Christ, and we have it. We have it. And Jesus said, the harvest it's plentiful. Just go drop down your nets. Drop down your nets, let them down and see what happens. But instead of just fish, we're talking about people made in God's image. We're talking about your one. God has the power to save that person, to change that person and give them new life. And maybe it starts with you. Maybe it starts with you just saying, look, you gotta come hear more about this Jesus than I know. Let me tell you about him. You don't need to bring him to, to church. We hope that this whole thing sets up to make that easy. But of course, just tell him. Tell him about the great hope that you have found in Christ. That's what this week, Serve Week, is ultimately all about. That's what this church is all about. Displaying the love of Christ and talking about the great hope we have in him. Trying to be as broken and messed up as we are, a joyful, humble people who are living with purpose in our day and time. Let me, um, let me give you a chance just real quick to respond to this. Um, different ones of us are gonna respond in different ways, but I want us to, to actually take a moment as we're beginning the way of Jesus, beginning this series together, to pray over maybe the people that God has in our minds, but also, what is our response? What's your response um, to stepping into the way of Jesus? What step is God calling you to take? Let me pray for you. Would you get, bow your head, close your eyes, let me lead you in this time. Maybe you need to ask God, God, would you show me what my next step is in following you? Just ask him. Commit to him right now, that individual that's on your mind that you love, you care for, you want them just to, to at least hear about the hope that you have found in Christ. Christ and commit them to the Lord. Lord, would you would you bring salvation to, would you bring this hope to this person? Maybe you're in here and you don't have this hope. You can have it today. Jesus will meet you where you are, but he won't leave you there. You are not too far gone. You are not too broken. You are not too messed up. To receive God's love for you. And He can save you here and now. In a morning, He changed Peter's life forever. He can change yours today. Say, God, you just pray to Him. I'm tired of running. I see who you are. Maybe like Peter, woe is me. I see that you are the one true God. So I'm turning from my sin and I believe that Christ took the punishment for it. And I'm receiving that today. Thank you. You, you tell him, thank you God for saving me. And you are a new creation in Christ. God, I pray. I pray that... Those that are praying this prayer now for the first time, I pray for your protection over them. I pray that they would be joyful, humble, and live with a new purpose, new identity as a follower of Christ as now a part of this, the church that we call The Way. Thank you for your grace on us pray for my brothers and sisters, other Christians in this room as they're committing themselves back to you, as they're praying over these individuals. God, would you give us grace this week as we seek to love and serve the city that you've placed us in? God, would you be honored this week? God, would the love of Christ be all over us as a people? We'd be humble and joyful as we serve others. Thank you for your grace. We praise you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.